Write a song, write a song. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to hear some really good songwriting. And it's a great episode all about metaphor, why we use metaphor, how to find metaphor. But first, I want to shout out to my members in the What's in a Song community. And it's been so great, you guys. And I cannot wait for our next live class together and to hear the new songs you've written. If you would like to join the membership or just support this podcast, you can go to scarletkeys.com and click on membership or just buy me a coffee. I want to congratulate one of my listeners, Liz Yardley, for following me on Instagram and tagging a friend because, Liz, you want a copy of my book, The Craft of Songwriting, Music, Meaning, and Emotion, and that's going out in the mail today, along with a little merch where I have these door hangers that have something funny written on them. So you're going to put that on the door of your writer's room. Please come follow me on Instagram. You can find me at Scarlet Keys Official and let me know what you've been learning. Um, Have you used the new chord voicing, piano voicing that you learned from Matt Rawlings? Have you turned your attention more to rhythm after the Tom Hambridge episode? I know that today you're going to be thinking a lot more about metaphor. I am so excited about my guest today. Today, I have Susan Catania on the show. And Susan is a award-winning, fabulous singer-songwriter and also has been teaching at the Berklee College of Music and Songwriting Department for 20 years. She has a powerful voice and writes captivating melodies and fabulously finely crafted lyrics. She is one of Boston's most respected singer-songwriters and educators. She has won the Connecticut Folk Festival Award and is nominated for Singer-Songwriter of the Year at this year's Boston Music Awards. She has been a finalist and a winner in the country's most prestigious songwriting and music contests. She's an in-demand collaborator for a wide range of local and national artists. She is a three-time Kerrville New Folk finalist. Her double album, The Hammer and the Heart, charted at number one on the Billboard Heat Seekers chart and yielded a folk radio number one single and top 10 album. Her latest work, All Is Quiet, has been featured as a top 10 folk radio album since its release in April. In her 20-plus years of teaching songwriting at Berkeley, Susan has helped students work on over 15,000 songs in all musical genres and styles and mentored over 2,000 artists. By far, Susan is most proud and honored to be my best friend, (laughs) at least in the continental U.S. I'm going to expand that to cover um, Hawaii. Thank God. Wait, that is, that's not, I mean, it's part of U.S., but it's not the continental U.S. But that is Um, actually in my bio. That's like the (laughs) (laughs) P.S. Oh my gosh, you guys, this is, you know, you might have noticed that I very carefully curate my artists to bring on people that I love as humans and are a big fan of. And I am a huge fan of I'm going to stop talking about you in third person. Um, I'm a huge fan of you as a writer, as a lyricist. Um, I count myself in one of those thousands of people that you have mentored because I think we all need as writers, well, at least I need a place before I go spend thousands of dollars in the studio. I want one person I trust to run things by and you are that person. Well, because I know likewise. You- 
Well, thank you. I know you'll be honest and I know that whatever you say is going to be a great suggestion. So I really appreciate that about you. And you're just one of the most amazing humans on the planet as a person (laughs) and my best friend in all of New England and the 03801 area code. (laughs) Yes. As, as am I like, it's so funny because I, I literally was thinking about the fact that I probably wouldn't have had the performing career that I have had if it weren't for you, because, you know, you came, you came to Berkeley as a teacher and, uh, you lived with us for like the first six months that you were there. And I remember you were like, so have you got any songs ideas? And you would come from Nashville. And I was so, I was like a mom with two little kids and you you were like, Oh, let's write this one. And it really gave me the confidence to, to really restart my performing career, which at that point, you know, being a young mom, it wasn't going anywhere. And thanks to you, thanks to you really. I, well, I, really I remember. So I remember when you said, "Well, I've got a couple of lyrics on my computer. Let me share a few." And I, I remember reading them and looking at you, going, "Does anyone else know about you?" Like I had <laughs> discovered this gold, amazing writer, and you and I proceeded to write for years. And yeah. I learned a lot from you. You're such a metaphor genius and someone who is so wonderful at using imagery. And I was somebody who had brought in a lot of emotion in my lyrics. And I think that blend together with both of us was such a, was such a great place. And I've said before on the podcast that, you know, I had a publisher in Nashville who didn't want me to co-write because he said, only co-write if you find someone who lets you be your best self when you write and you were definitely that person for me. So I'm thrilled to have you on the show and the listeners are going to know obviously that you and I are Gail and Oprah because um, <laughs> I wish one's where I think you're Oprah. Thank you. That's I think who I, I get to be Gail. Good. I want to be, but <laughs> do I have to give the free cars away? You, you totally do. <laughs> All right. So Susan, there are, you have so many fans and for the people listening today who are about to become your fans, um, would you give us your backstory? And then I would love for you to share, you have so many things that you could talk about, but I would love for you to share um, sort of your process on finding metaphor as a songwriter and we could talk about prosody. Okay. Cool. Well, so um, I'm born and raised in New Jersey, and um, I came from a singing family. And uh, we, so we used to actually like sing around the dining room table, and there were six of us, and I was the youngest. And so, cool story, I ended up, you know, all the good harmony parts were taken. So I had to like learn how to harmonize underneath the melody, which is a hard thing to do. But we were like, we were like the Von Trapps of New Jersey. Like we, we went around and we performed at people's birthday parties and at, at Christmas time, like it was very funny. So um, that was where I was born and raised. And I, I come from a singing family. And so for me, my older siblings were the singers and I was like, well, I'm just going to be a writer. And I like to sing on the side. So that was kind of what I thought my role was going to be. And um, so I ended up actually writing in television. I was a a television writer producer and I made movie trailers. 
and then sang in a band at night in New York. And uh, we came to Boston. And this is actually a cool, true story, is that my brother-in-law was going to Berkeley. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to quit my job, my paying job, and go back to school and get another degree in music. And so I'm walking down Prospect Street in Cambridge, and I'm I'm not very religious. I'm more spiritual. And I remember saying like, oh, God, give me a sign. What should I do with my life? Should I quit my job and go to Berkeley or should I stay with my job? And I looked down and there in between the slats of the, the sidewalk was a single silver treble clef earring. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm meant to quit my job and go to Berkeley. Now, having said that, like it, I was so eager to quit my job and go to Berkeley that I probably would have been like, if a bus at any time passes me today, I should quit my job and go to Berkeley. So I did I quit my job and I went to Berkeley and got another degree. And my second semester there discovered songwriting. Oh, the idea of combining music and words had never occurred to me. And I just, it was one of these things where when I took my first songwriting class, I literally felt like, oh, like the heavens opened and I was suddenly, this was my destiny. And um, and luckily, Pat Patterson, who we both know and love, um, uh, was kind enough to let me, I kind of like took over his classes <clears throat> and uh, started like teaching the students because I was a writer. And uh, he hired me right after I graduated. And so, and then I had a career uh, briefly where I was going down to Nashville on a regular basis and co-writing with others and writing in the country genre. And then um, I had kind of an epiphany and decided that I didn't want to do that anymore and started really to kind of write for myself. And so, and my kids got older, so I was able to start performing and so I've been a performing artist and um, and a co-writer and and been doing that for the past 10 years. So, yeah, and still teaching at Berkeley. But I have to say, like, the I, I quit. So I'm not teaching at Berkeley presently, but I am teaching online at Berkeley. So I'm still at Berkeley, but I'm just not going into class anymore. So because I wanted to do music full time. And you forgot to mention that you won an Emmy for your television work. Yeah, I was nominated for an Emmy Award. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I, I won a, a Broadcaster's Award for it. Yeah, it was really, it was super stressful. Like, see see the movie Broadcast News? Mm -hmm. And the, you know, I, I, that was my life. It was very, very stressful, very, very high-paced, very, very, um, I spent a lot of time in New York, like, standing on sidewalks and breathing deeply to to stop the the ulcer from building in my stomach. Yeah. But it was good. You know, it taught me the cool thing about doing that. And then after that, I did, um, I worked in uh, creative services, which is like promotion work for um, this other company called Smash. And we did promos for Sesame Street and um, CNBC. And, um, and the cool thing about that process is that I would write something and then I always had somebody critiquing it and I had to rewrite it. So I learned two things. I learned that rewriting is really important. And I also learned that I learned to kind of take my ego out of the picture. And uh, um, I think that's really helped me as a co-writer because I don't come to the co-writing table with anything other than to be in service of the song. So um, yeah. that experience was really good for me. Well, you are not afraid <clears throat> to 
you're not afraid to rewrite and you're definitely not afraid to tell other people to rewrite because I very specifically remember a very tender song that I had written just after my dad had passed away. God. And I, <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. It's not too soon. Um, but I had played the song for you and you go, Oh God, what a great chorus. Rewrite all the verses. And I had I didn't a moment. say that. Did I really say that? You did. But we had had such a familiarity after writing for so many years that I was like, Oh, and I was, ang- well, you know, and I understand when my students are angry, when you don't like love their, I, I mean, if, if, you know, if you don't love a very sensitive songwriter song, um, they can be really mad at you until they rewrite it and it's better. And then all's forgiven and they love you. So um, I took a few weeks and I did rewrite it. And I remember playing it for you again. And you just go, oh my God, I wish I had written that. The thing that I learned from that, that I used in my classes with my students going forward was, listen, we're only going to write what we're willing to feel. And I wasn't ready to peel the next layer of that onion. And when you challenged me, I had kind of gotten through a little bit of the grief stage and was in another place. And I was able to incorporate that into the song. And so I was really grateful. And I know there was a time when you had presented something to me and I just... No, oh, I, I don't, whatever, you know, and I, I could hear that you were mad at me, uh, but then you rewrote it and all was forgiven. And so we do that for each other. And because as I always like to say, you can't see the picture when you're, when you're in the frame. Well, yeah. And like, I remember you did that. I, I'd written a song for my album, The Hammer in the Heart called Dry and the Wells Run Dry. And it was about two people and I really liked it. And I remember playing it for you and you're like, eh, I don't know, like, I just think it needs to be more visual. It needs to be more like I'd written in metaphor. It's so interesting. I'd written all about like the rain or something. And you're like, well, the rain is fine. But like, this is a song about two people who are not communicating. And I really need to see that. And I, same kind of thing. I remember being a little indignant. I was like, no, it's perfect. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, she's right. I hate that she's right. And it was a very important song for me because it felt like yeah. I wanted it to have this, it ended up being a duet and I rewrote it. And I think it's so, it's so much better. It's, I mean, thank God, because it just, it it was not great. And then it be, for me, like it, it was very satisfying after. And I, I think it's really important though, professionally when, you know, when we're dealing with professionals and we want critique from them, I I have a habit of if you'll come up with something that I want to use, I'll say, is that a co-write or a gift? Right, right. Because <laughs> I want to, and most of the time with you and I, it's like, oh, just, of course, it's your song. I'm just responding. But I think a lot of my critique really, like, for example, when I heard your song, I loved it. And selfishly, as an audience member for that song, I wanted to know more about the characters. I wanted more from the song. And so oftentimes my critique is really coming from the standpoint of the audience and the listener and, and, oh, I just want a little more out of this song. And that's where my critiques, or I'm a little bored, not by your songs, but there might be a song where I'm, I'm just not focused on it. And I'll think, I lost, they lost my attention. Why did they do that? Exactly. And then I'll start scanning it for symmetry. Is there too much repetition? Exactly. For me, like that's how I critique songs. It's like, if I'm, my experience of the song, it's like, as I'm listening to it, is there a part where I'm kind of, where my brain just starts thinking about 
making dinner or, do you know what I mean? It's like, there's a moment where like, you lose me, you lose my attention. And why does that happen? And I do the same thing where I'm like, okay, what, what's going on here? Why did that happen for me? Was it something, was the melody too repetitive? Was the, um, was the rhyme scheme too exact and perfect? Were the lines all the same length? So I kept hearing them and being like, oh God, and here comes another rhyme in that same thing at the same time. And so that's when I'll be like, oh, wait, this is what happened for me. My experience of the song is that you had me until the second verse and then you lost me. So let's talk about why you lost me. Um, And it's funny because I think that, um, and I know you've had this experience, like when a student or anybody in a group will play a song, we all have, we all lose attention at exactly the same place. So it's not like my ears are hearing something that other people aren't hearing. We all will listen to a song and be like, "Ah, something was weird about that chorus. What was weird about that chorus? And I think, you know, what we do is that, you know, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully we're experienced enough to, to be able to, to speak to that. We're being like, why did that happen? We know, we know the tricks behind it. We know how this, how a student or a, or just a a fellow co-writer can kind of change that and help that. And I remember being in a class where this really pretty well-known student, she wrote this song about her grandmother who had Alzheimer's and it was stunning and her voice is gold. But when she was finished, a couple of other students, you know, kind of put their hand to their heart and said, oh my God, I almost cried. Uh-huh. Now, most people would take that as a compliment. <laughs> and I knew how great she was. And I said, you know what? And I'd had her for a several classes. So we had this trust. And I said, we are not shooting for almost. So go rewrite the bridge. Right. Nice. And she did. And it won this big scholarship for her. And it was just a matter of me going, I I actually don't want to almost cry. You know, that's mm-hmm. like someone saying, listen, I almost love you. Right. Right. <laughs> Right. What can I do to actually tip you over into loving me? Um, so really <laughs> diagnosing the song and what would have raised the the bar on this or increased the emotion. So right. it's not about making a song. It's not right or wrong or better or worse. It's Mm-mm. more impactful. Exactly. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of more impactful, I would love for you, because this podcast is really geared for um, people that, you know, some people that are listening are just listening because they, they love music and they love songwriting and, and it gives them a little insight to how the things they love are made, which is a wonderful just for entertainment purposes. But we have a lot of songwriters that are listening to this that want to learn from the podcast and you are, you're the person who can make the magic and teach other people how to make the magic and talk about it. So I would love to hand the microphone over for a while to you and ask you to talk about metaphor and so that other people can start thinking about why do we use metaphor? How can it help us in our songwriting and how can they, is there a process that you recommend that writers use to bring in more metaphor? Why do we use it? Oh, all really, really good questions. So for me, I think that metaphor, um, kind of, you know, the whole expression of show, don't tell. Metaphor is definitely in the show category. It allows us to visually represent something that we're feeling. 
And I think that, you know, it encompasses everything about a song or a creative writing piece, the verbs that you use, the adjectives that you use, the nouns that you use, the choice that you make um, should all kind of fall under whatever metaphor you've decided to write in. And for me, the way that I like to kind of imagine it is a song is like a room or even a landscape. And it's, it's almost like you open the door and you step into the song. Okay, and now open your eyes. What do you see? So, you know, if you're writing a song about, um, I don't know, about about loss, right? So there are kind of two ways that you can write, or there are many ways that you can write that song, but one of the ways is to be literal. So if I stepped into the room of the song and I'm talking about loss and I'm talking about, you know, someone passing away, I could see the funeral, right? I could see the mourners. I could see all the people in black. I would describe what the sky is like. I would describe what I hear, you know, the sound of hymns or crying or, and I hate to be so, you know, maybe dark on this, um, but step out of the room for a minute. Okay. So what if I wanted to see that grief, not as something direct, like I don't want to see, you know, the widow, the actual widow. I, I just don't feel like writing that, that like real to it. You can choose metaphor to describe a feeling. So in this case, if grief were like a hurricane, right? I step into this room that is the song and I'm in a hurricane. So there's destruction, there's damage, there's, uh, you know, a destroyed house. Um, there's still a dark sky, but it's not filled with people necessarily. It's filled with the destruction that comes with a hurricane and the anger that comes with a hurricane. And so I'm also kind of taking hurricane and personifying it and animating it, making it human. Um, and so, that's kind of the way that I like to think about metaphor is the idea of it gives you a visual to kind of hang the emotion of the song on. And I use it a lot in my, I use it all the time in my songs. Um, uh, I think that like the, the, the thing that for me, I think is really important is uh, you know, there's a difference between simile and metaphor. So simile is a comparison using like or as. So, so like the heart is like a wheel, the moon is like a light or a flashlight, right? But a metaphor, you're actually asking a noun to be a noun. So the heart is a wheel, the moon is a flashlight. And therefore, once you commit to what a metaphor is, you really have to write in the key of whatever you've decided to write in. So if the the um if the heart is a wheel, then verbs, adjectives, other nouns in that song or in that writing piece really need to cater to the concept of wheel. So things need to turn, things need to spin, um, uh, things need to have spokes. So you can have like the spokes of your love, right? In a song about the heart is a wheel, right? Um, and so for me, like, that's the part where a lot of writers, uh, forget that they forget the power of metaphor. And so they end up having the heart is a wheel. And then as I drown in your love, well, and it's like drowning is great. Okay. Good that you have that verb there, but how did you get from wheel to drowning? It's okay to make that transition, but I need to see like the heart is a wheel caught in the river drowning in your love right? Then I see, I understand the pattern. So for me, one of the most important things as a writer is to 
have every element of my lyric right to whatever metaphor. And that kind of, you know, then that leads us to like prosody, which I know you've talked about in your podcast a little bit. Prosody is when all of the elements that support a song, all the foundational elements, and that means chords, melody, uh, what kind of chords you use, uh, lyrically, what line lengths, what rhymes, what rhyme types, what adjectives, nouns, and verbs you use, um, what metaphors you use, all right to the emotional content of the song. And I really try and make sure that my songs have good prosody because I think that it's this beautiful marriage of structure of the song and emotional of the song. And they're hand in hand, skipping gaily down the road. To use a right. metaphor, there you go. On, <laughs> They're partners on, on wheels, on wheels, on wheels, <laughs> just rolling along, just rolling along. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, when I first started teaching metaphor, I was searching. I read a lot of books about it, and I was really searching for like what is the ultimate definition. And the one that I landed on was metaphor describes the unknown by the known, and so it's a wonderful way to explain how we feel. Like, how do you feel? I feel like a, I, I feel like a flat tire today, right? If you're going to go back to the wheel. And so people go, if you just say, oh, I just feel kind of, I don't know, out of it and just a little lethargic. That's not the same as I feel like a, a flat tire today. It's just a quick and creative way for someone to go, oh. And so as songwriters, oftentimes it's um, not only are we really coming closer to building empathy with our audience by using metaphor, but also we're waking up the language. If you're going to use the the worn out noun of all nouns for songwriters, which is heart, um, you can really um, feng shui that word um, and and transform it by the language you put around it. And if you're borrowing words from wheel, boy, can you can you repurpose that word that we all deserve to use as songwriters? We all want to use the word heart. We all sure. have one. Yeah. And life and soul and, you know, yeah. Smile. smile. Totally. How many, smile. how much time have you spent on the word smile? The crooked smile, daunted smile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. Wait, does it, does it matter? A quick side thing. Does it matter that you said uh, my heart is like a flat tire? That's a simile, not a metaphor. Does it matter? Well, I guess I'm talking in metaphorical language in general. Okay. Right. Sorry. It's it's, it's metaphorical not. language, but it's um yeah, if I wanted to I could if I use like, which is very powerful, I could say, you know, I feel like a flat tire today. And then I could also say and I feel like a balloon that a little kid let go and it's just floating aimlessly in the sky. And I feel like I could do a few, but if I, if I am the flat tire, you know what? I am a flat tire today. I kind of right. can't. And I'm a balloon and I, you know, it, it's not as easy to shift your, it isn't because it's metaphor. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so I'd want to stay in that language of, I am a flat tire today. Um, Rutted and torn and right. You, I, that was so much better than I was about to say. See, oh, I'm sorry. That was so good. No, what were was, you going to say? I was going to say something that Yoda would have said. I don't know what was about to come out of my mouth, but that was just <laughs> awesome. So I'm not going to even try. Um, would you like to talk about one of your songs in particular that you feel is 
Well, yeah, I'd love to actually. So um, I have a new album that came out in April called All Is Quiet. And um, it's nine songs that I wrote in the pandemic. And they're, it's a completely acoustic album, which I've kind of never done before, which was super scary and vulnerable and just a whole different conversation. But um, it's nine songs. And um, what I I love a lot about the album is the fact that so the first song on the album is called All Is Quiet. And it's about the fact that for me, the pandemic led to a period of, you know, we took a giant pause. All, all performers took a giant pause and no one did anything for a while. And I remember thinking, is this it? Is this the end for me? So the song starts with an end. And then it finishes with a song called Follow, which was ultimately the idea of like following your intuition. And it's about a beginning. So it starts with an end and ends with a beginning, which I really, I really love that about it. Um, but one of the songs on here is um, is called Hold On to Hope. And that for me, like really, uh, I, I, I used a lot of like metaphorical language in that. And so I wanted to kind of share just part of it for you. Um, so first, musically, uh, when I was talking about holding on to hope, I had written this, this lyric that was in a country song, <laughs> which I never used. That was like, it was kind of like that song, you know, if you're going through hell, keep on going. Everybody know that it's like a really country song. And I had written this country lyric that was like, you know, uh, when you feel at the end of your rope, tie a knot and don't let go. And it was all this, when you feel at the end of your rope, tie a knot and don't let go. Yeah. And didn't go anywhere. Didn't write it beyond that. So I had it kind of stored in my phone. And, um, you know, it was a hard time, that pandemic. And I remember uh, my brother-in-law saying, well, you know, we've just got to hold, hold on to the hope that we have, that it'll be okay. And we're being hold on to hope. I liked the alliteration of that, right? So I put it in my phone and I was like, I really wanted to write what that song is about. Cause for me, I was feeling it very, very powerfully during the pandemic and the idea of kind of like finding light out of this darkness that we were in. And I thought, Oh, holding on. Oh, wait, hold hope, hope, wait, help rhymes with a rope. Cool. Wait, what was that lyric that I had? And so suddenly I was like, Oh, okay. This song is going to be about, a rope. It's going to be, it's going to have that lyric in it. It's going to have hold on to hope. When you feel at the end of your rope, tie a knot and don't let go, hold on to hope. So I was all in the O sounds. And I was like, okay, what can I, how does it sound, first of all? So for me, when I come up with a hook, I immediately start singing. I'm a singer, singer first. So for me, it was like, how do I sing that? And I wanted to hold on. So I hold on. So hold, hold. It was really important that I lengthen that line. And then musically, I was like, well, it's got to be in some sort of swing feel. It's got to be in some sort of swinging rope thing. So I came up with this. And I noticed I tee. The key do that's our main. And so it was like, ooh, it's not quite on to do. So it feels this sense of. And that was the swing feel. And then I remember I was walking the dog and I was like, how did I feel at that point? Like I felt like, 
all was lost. How are we going to get, you know, how are we going to move forward? And so I was, I remember singing into my phone, when, when your faith starts to fade. So when your faith starts to fade, right? And I was like, oh, that's okay. I really like fade. Why don't I like fade? Because it doesn't really write in the key of rope. I'm writing in the key of rope. So it's like, what are some great verbs? And I remember literally being like, ha ha, like there was this golden moment when God or Mother Earth or some higher power gave me, when your faith starts to fray and that miracle you have been waiting for is worlds away. So for me, like that was so cool because I'm like, oh, the verb matches the hook, which matches the metaphor. And then I was like, oh, then I was thinking about, you know, I don't know why I was like, uh, uh, it felt like there was a, it's like a rope swing or, or it's an acrobat. There was something about acrobatics for me visually. I was seeing like a carnival or some sort of trapeze artist. And so for me, the second verse, um, it's unfair and too much to bear. You're hanging on tight as you swing on a life caught in midair. So the idea of like swinging on a life, you could be swinging on a rope, but I had already used rope in my chorus. So swinging on a life caught in midair, which kind of really gave the whole song this very suspended, unresolved feeling. And so um, the other thing that I did, which was prosody and also kind of like metaphor, well, more, I guess, like, like sonic metaphor. I don't know if that's a thing. But the idea of when we get to the chorus, I did, hold on. And that felt too resolved for me. I liked it the first time because I didn't want to leave people feeling totally sad that like there was never going to be any hope. So the second, so the first time it felt resolved. Hold on, hold on to hope. And the second time I sing it, I wanted to introduce this level of like uh, unsurety. So it's hold on. I'm singing that and I'm still playing the Ada. So it hold on to hope. So for me, it did this kind of nice dance between uh, it's going to be okay. We don't know if it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We don't know if it's going to be okay. So that's like one of the songs that I think really uses metaphor pretty effectively. You know, and it's such a gorgeous recording. Would you mind if, why don't we just play the recording? Okay. That would be, that would be wonderful. Thanks. Okay. When your faith starts to fray And that miracle you have been waiting on Is worlds away Steady breathing deep Trust that all will 
That is just, it's such a beautiful song. And, you know, you are um, so used to um, being loyal to the metaphor when you're writing the song. Um, But if somebody was just starting to incorporate um, metaphor into their writing, what would you say? Would you say, would you say, hey, have fun making a list of all of the words that belong to rope? Yes, totally. In fact, like, you know, I'll, I'll have somebody be like, okay, so your theme is rope, right? So hope, hope is like a rope or hope is a rope. So then like go on to thesaurus and look up rope 
synonyms, antonyms, go into the rhyming dictionary and look up rhymes for rope that have the same kind of feel to it. Go and just think of adjectives and nouns and verbs related to rope. So it doesn't necessarily have to be all rope. Like rope can connect you to, I don't know, um, uh, what is that game where, where people like pull and they they pull on the rope? Tug of war. Like tug it could have been a song about a tug of war, right? Rope could have taken you to tug of war. And then it could have been like about the white flag between them and mud and people like digging in their heels and pulling and pushing. And so it it really is kind of like what you can let your brain experiment and and you can let your almost train of consciousness theme of stream of consciousness um you can follow your stream of consciousness and come up with some really cool directions that your metaphor can take you and i so like I, that that you um you stay the course like you're not afraid to go wait let me challenge that because i really did love when your faith starts to fade it's great but then you raised the bar and brought in that metaphor um, with the verb that belongs to the language of rope, which is fray. And it's yeah. it's so stronger. much better, right? It's better. It's so better. much better. Well, and for me, another thing that I would recommend people to do sometimes is uh, if you've already finished the song and it's a metaphor song, just take a look at the lyric and circle all of the adjectives and verbs that you're using and the nouns, and just make sure that they're all in the same family, at least, of the metaphor and the theme that you're writing. Because mm. I think that that's something, especially like new writers, young writers, they're just so excited about the idea that language can tr be transformed that way. That they kind of are just like, oh, you know, I'm I'm flying, flying through through our life, you know, uh, on this road where, you know, it's like they're just mixing their metaphors mm -hmm. right and left. And I think, you know, if you actually look at your lyric and um, and circle, circle the nouns and the verbs and the adjectives that you're using and just make sure that they're all kind of roughly in the same family, that would be, that's a good idea. Yeah. Like write down all of the words that ropes could be or how you use them in your life and then make a list of all the verbs that belong to rope language and all of right. the adjectives that belong. Right. We just yeah. invented an entire exercise. There you go. See? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I have like a, and well, and what's cool is that I have like a thing that I did this exercise once where I did, you know, so you take two nouns, right? So I took moon and elephant. And then I wrote a, a whole like huge paragraph of all things related to moon. And then, because I was thinking, what is the common denominator between them? They're both large. That was just what I thought. It was like, their moon is large, the elephant is large. Or I guess they were gray. The moon is gray, the elephant is gray. And then I was like, all of the things related to elephant. And then I wrote a bunch of sentences where moon, I wrote moon in the key of elephant. So, uh, you know, like the moon lumbers across the night sky. The moon is an elephant lumbering across the night sky. But then if you remove the elephant, you can just have a cool verb. The moon lumbers across the night sky. That's and great. then vice versa, you can write elephant in the key of moon. So you can say the elephant orbits, the elephant is a moon orbiting around the watering hole. So then the elephant is orbiting around the watering hole. And then you can even take it further. Like some of the cooler lines that I came up with was, I loved the idea of a tusk of moon. I thought that was real. I was like, oh, that's cool. Right. That's and um, I'm trying to think of like some of the other ones. But yeah, so sometimes you just for fun, because 
because I'm a geek that way, I will, I will do this exercise for fun. I will take two nouns and I'll just like explore them metaphorically on my own (laughs) for no reason. But you Uh, know, ultimately that reason is that it creates a pathway of metaphor search in your brain. So you start thinking more like that, the more you practice it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember like, um, a recent one, I, I, uh, I was like going for a walk and I was like, you know, what are the leaves doing? Like the leaves were changing. And I was like, oh, it's like, it's like the blush of autumn. I remember thinking like, oh, that's cool. Cause it's, it was, you know, before the, for the end of the dance when they fall off the trees. And I was like, for me, like I suddenly had this image of like trees, like young girls blushing to, to the colder wind. And it was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but it was fun. This is what I do for fun. This is what <laughs> it's it's amazing. And and you know, um, Sally Taylor. I had Sally Taylor on the podcast a few episodes ago. And you know, she of course her dad is James Taylor, her mom is Carly Simon. And she says that when she was a little girl, they would be out taking a walk and she'd be with Carly Simon. And most moms are <laughs> not doing this. Um, but she would stop and see like a, a cactus, like some white type of um, scratchy, like flower coming out of it. And she would say, what else could that be? Mm. And Sally would say, oh, that, that's a, an old man's beard. Nice. And it was just this way of seeing the world and it was just a metaphor game. And it's such a wonderful thing to start with kids early on, or even ourselves as we're out walking, you know, I was, I, that really stayed with me. And I remember it was fall and the grass was still green and red leaves were just had fallen and were sticking up out of the grass. And I thought the grass is on fire with little flames of mm-hmm. leaves or leaf flames. You know, you mm. just, you start to, the more you do this, the more your brain starts to do that. And it can really um, wake up the language. You write a song that touches people. Sometimes it's just beautiful and they're moved by it, but sometimes just they're just looking at their lives in a in a new way because of how you have scrambled the language totally well and i think you know the uh, uh another another song on the album that i wrote was um this tribute to my mom and my daughter called borrowed blue and you know it's funny because i think especially during the pandemic because it was so isolating i i was writing songs for myself and it's been incredibly gratifying for me to perform the songs now and have, you know, women come up to me and say, you know, I'm also the the daughter of a of an older mother and and I understand I totally related to that song. Or I'm also the mother of a, a young daughter and I understand. And for me, having those conversations. And knowing that the song made a difference to somebody, that it really reached somebody. I guess that's why we're doing because we're certainly not doing it for the money, but we're, you know, I think it really is something that um, it's incredibly, incredibly gratifying to have someone email or, or message me on Facebook or, or come up to me in a concert and say that they got what I was trying to say. I think that that's like really, it's really amazing. I can't hear that song without crying and no one, I <laughs> I dare the listeners, hold on, get a box of tissue. (laughs) 
I am going to play that song in a moment just because it's it's so beautiful. And I hope people will take a moment to actually find the video online too, because it's such a gorgeous video. But, um, you know, just to talk about metaphor, you know, you're starting with um, with a cliche, which is, it's not a cliche, it's a tradition that's also right. a cliche. But yes. um, so a wedding moment where, oh, there's something borrowed and there's something blue. And yep. then you took that literal tradition and then you thought, well, I don't know what you thought, but but the next came and what is borrowed in blue? What else is borrowed in blue? And how is that a metaphor? Which is what is so gorgeous about one of the things that I love so much about this song. Well, yeah. And I was thinking about like the, 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 the overarching thought of it was like, you know, my daughter was going to apply to college and was doing her college applications. And just suddenly it was like, the floor of her confidence completely fell out from under her. Like she just started to doubt who she was, that she had any value at all, that she was never going to get into college. I mean, it was just this really, really difficult period to have to kind of pull her through. And um, I remember thinking, what did, what did I do to make her so, what, what was it? What did I, what did she inherit from me that made her so insecure it was this terrible thing of like, have I passed on the, the, this lack of self-confidence? Like, have I passed that on to her? And I remember thinking, what have I inherited from my mother? And then, then passed on to my daughter. And I was like, oh, it's like that, that it's like that wedding thing. It's like, you know, what have I inherited from my mother? Well, you know, she gave me I remember she gave me like a, a blue, um, a handkerchief with like a blue needlepoint thing on it. I remember being like, that was kind of the the symbol um, and and therefore the inspiration for that song. It was like what what we've what we've borrowed from our generation, our past generations, is not just how we look. And it's not just the great things, it's also sometimes the blue things, meaning the darker things. Right. It's, it's beautiful. So, so I'm going to play borrowed blue, but first, um, uh, you cannot operate heavy machinery or be driving a vehicle. When you listen to this song, (laughs) you will need tissues and then you will need to call your mother, um, or your therapist or your daughter (laughs) or your daughter. Um, all right, here it is. Mothers and daughters Cut from the same cloth We promise our hearts Till death do we part In front of the same God We say I love you Then we say I do Then we spend years Saying I'm sorry More than we have to Something borrowed Something blue We've been handed down this sorrow But we wear it as if it were true Something borrowed Something blue Something blue and mothers 
carry the same scars We question our worth, what we deserve We inhabit the same dark We say I love you Then what do we do? We put ourselves down, put ourselves last Look at our lives, a half-empty glass But something borrowed Something blue We've been handed down this sorrow But we wear it as if it were true Something borrowed Something gets me every time I that is just a beautiful masterpiece it is it is absolutely gorgeous so thank you for writing that song well it was, it was it's a little scary because it was like I, I I wrote it right at the time when my daughter was going through this and I remember sitting in the car with her and saying kind of written a song about you know, is that okay and she's like you've written a song about me and I was like well yes can I play it for you and she's like yes I'm like, I can't look at you. And she's like, okay. So we're sitting in the car and I'm in the driver's seat and she's in the passenger seat. And I'm just like, look out the window. I'm going to look out my window. I'm going to play this song. <laughs> and then we both cried. And, you know, it was it's so it, wonderful. Like songs, you know, didn't, didn't heal that situation. But I think she really felt heard. Oh, and as a mother, to have a daughter know that she's been heard. It makes me want to cry just talking about it, but but that was important for me. So to share that. 
And there's like, oh, there's also like a little cool thing I'll just share with you. So um, I love putting like little hints in my songs that are really just for me. No one knows them but me. But in that song, um, my daughter was a fashion major. And so intentionally, the uh, the verb that I use is mothers and daughters cut from the same cloth. I use that on purpose because she was a fashion major and I wanted to kind of represent her in there. And I was thinking about like this yes. material. And so that was the metaphor that I used because I saw the handkerchief and the needlepoint and it was like, oh, this is cloth. It's something that I'm holding. So yeah, another metaphor in there. So that's another layer to to bringing a new language to your song. So thinking about when we write a song for someone, we think about, you know, what are the things in their life that they do or that they love? And let's borrow from that language. Totally. That's another layer to put in a song. I love that. I'm going to use that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's really, that's, it's something, and it's, it's fun to play, you know, and I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a difference between, um, I think, you know, there are different kinds of songwriting. There's different, like, you know, when, when we were in Nashville, you know, I think that we were definitely writing to a specific genre and a specific form. And, and then, and what I'm doing now is, um, is really just kind of following what is internally going on with me, which I think is a different form of songwriting. And, um, for me, it's been, it's been really rewarding to, cause it's funny, my, the first album that I did that on was called Haunted Heart. And, um, it was, <laughs> it was very outwardly focused. Like it was like, you hurt me. So in the style of Taylor Swift, I'm going to write a song about you. Right. So Haunted Heart has a lot of like revenge songs where I'm like, I'm getting you and I'm getting you, <laughs> you know? And then, um, and then after that, the hammer in the heart was a double album and that was about collaboration. So that was about this like huge, like, I'm going to, it had like 41 musicians on it. I produced it myself and recorded it all over the place. And it was a circus of music and a lot. And then this felt so nice. To a be circus to. of music. See, she can't be stopped. There you go. <laughs> but then this one was just all, you know, I'm sitting in this room all by myself for most of 2020 and to kind of really explore the not just the angry and and I guess funny parts of my life, but also really the intimate and serious things. I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of this piece. So, well, I was, um, you know, in this age where we are beyond distracted and are overwhelmed by the possible consumption of content on binge watching Netflix or comedy on Spotify, music, all the things. Um, I went old school on this record and came to your house and sat in a leather chair in front of two speakers with my eyes closed and listened from- And listened the whole, and that's the yeah. thing. I mean, that really is a friend <laughs> because- Well, actually it was really a fan, but I, <laughs> as your friend, I wanted to give you, I think all of us- as songwriters, you know, we put so much into a song and we're so excited to play it for someone, for someone to actually give it your undivided attention. Um, I enjoyed every moment of that record, every song on that record. And I just felt like I'm really going to honor my friend, my collaborator, and this musician who I think is incredible. Um, and I'm just going to 
go old school and do what we used to do and actually just sit and close your eyes and listen to the record. And um, I, I, I loved it. I, that was such a wonderful way to stop the world and just go into something beautiful. And the last song on the record, Follow, I don't know. There was just something about it that just really hit me. And I know that recently um, I played some of your songs for this little girl who's four, she was 13 at the time. And she just was like downloaded your music and had to listen to it in the car. And so you're speaking to everyone in your music, through your music. And um, it's no surprise that you are winning awards right and left and getting song placements on film and TV and up for, you know, the award in Boston. It's just no, I, I'm just thrilled that you decided to do that because we we don't want to die with our music still in us. And we certainly don't want to do it with the great music in us. And you have so much to offer the world. So, but I love that you have a way to say, let me break this down so that you can be a better writer too. And is there anything else you'd like to say about metaphor or maybe share a specific exercise or two so that people that want to start a daily practice of just getting better at this, um, where could they start? And maybe some people that are already great writers that just want a new practice. Well, so what I'm really into right now is, um, uh, is, uh, house paint, paint colors, actually. <laughs> I went down into my basement and we had repainted a lot of rooms in our house and I found the paint chart. And I remember joking at the time about the fact that there was a paint color that was called grandma's sweater. Like who would ever want to paint their room grandma's sweater, right? But then I got kind of lost in all of the paint names. And so what I've been doing recently is I have been going on to the Benjamin Moore paint uh, site and they have all the colors and I've been just choosing a paint color and writing on that paint color. And I set a timer for myself first thing in the morning. And this is so funny. This is what I do. <laughs> this is what I do for fun. Like this is, this is me. I'm not doing it for any reason other than the fact that it's fun for me. So I set a timer and for me, I set a timer for like a half an hour. So I really have to like sit with that color um, and I'll just write on it and I'll kind of stream of consciousness, but I'll, I'll use that as a device to come up with some ideas. And it's led me to some pretty cool song lyrics that came out of the paint colors. And so um, when I teach in person, I actually went, I went to the Benjamin Moore paint store and I, I stole a bunch of paint samples that I hand out to people. But even like, you know, there's one called like um, Gobi Desert and there's another one called, I don't know. Who do, who do you hand these out to? Like your banker? No. Yeah. yeah, the mailman, he comes by. I'm like, here, have a paint color. Let's do a little writing exercise. <laughs> Thank you, recycling man. <laughs> no, when I teach, like when I teach in, in person. So, but, but I recommend like go to Benjamin Moore. They have like a whole thing where like, yeah. they're like, you know, five colors. And so some of the, some of the names are um, ocean air. And another one is called, um, you know, candy cane. So what would that be? Like, how would you write candy cane? Um, 
there's one called uh hold on pale moon it's kind of interesting sunburst mm-hmm. um fairy tale blue that actually was the one that i wrote um um my song Blackbirds was from Fairy Tale Blue, actually. This is amazing. You have yeah. never, okay, I feel like I don't even know you. <laughs> I think it's because I've limited you to New England as my best friend radius. So I'm going to have to expand <laughs> that because there's new things I'm learning. You're, you're withholding some songwriting secrets from me and you're only sharing it with the listeners. I don't know. <laughs> um, Which is, I'm, it was, you know, it's like when you, I, I've, mm-hmm. I've found little ways to play games with myself in yeah. writing. So, so I, when I, you do that, when you say yeah. that you, you'll pick a, a paint color, um, that's so fun. Yeah. Um, and you start with that. Then what do you do? You say you write about it. Can you explain that? Well, so it's stream of consciousness, not rhyming, not even full sentences. So I just kind of like take, you know, fairy tale blue. And that led me to, um, uh, I, I like wrote a bunch of like, I, I, we had like the, um, mother goose book of, of rhymes and fairy tales growing up and so for some reason I was kind of stuck on Humpty Dumpty and um the the expression of blackbirds blackbird four, four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie when the pie was open the bird began to sing wasn't that a dainty dish except for the king and there was this terrible thing where like the blackbird like takes the the maid's nose <laughs> it's terrible and horrible and violent and at the time so I wrote that I wrote that yeah. and but I hadn't really finished and I remember like specifically this is I will share this as personal but I remember specifically my husband came in and we had like a little kind of like a, a little discussion in the middle of my writing this and uh, I come from divorced parents. My husband comes from parents that have, have were together for like 56 years. And so when we have a conflict, we have a very different mindset. And he, I think is like, we're going to work through this. And I'm like, oh my God, we're going to get a divorce. And I, I stopped that interaction with him. We resolved it kind of, but I left, I was feeling really like isn't that terrible that like, I always come to conflict with some sort of like, oh my gosh, dread that it's going to be over. And, um, I picked up the writing at that point and wrote about how some people see a fairy tale when they have conflict and a happily ever after. And some of us don't. And that led to the song Blackbirds on my Mm -hmm. album. And so I started writing about through the lens. So kind of like writing uh, my relationship in the key of, back to metaphor, in the key of fairy tale, in the key of happily ever after. And uh, with the the details of it were around that four and 20 blackbirds. And that became a, a symbol for um, for sometimes how, you know, how sad I feel after we fight. So essentially this song, we've been married, by the way, we've been married for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still still worried that it's not going to work out. <laughs> but, you know, that song is about oh. really revealing that like insecurity that, you know, every time we have a fight, I'm worried it's over. So, yeah. yeah. And that came from the color. So there you go. So do you have an example of a color that you picked that you wrote? Do you have a writing that you would share from that? Sure. Totally. Yeah. Do you want me to share that now or do you want me to share that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, do, yeah, just if you would read it, I think that sure. would be fabulous. And then I'm going to pick a couple off of the site and challenge our listeners to maybe use one. 
All right. So this was one. Um, so just, you have to know, I come from a very waspy family. So I wrote, I wrote my waspy, not my waspy family, but I wrote a waspy family. The color was Easter pink. And this was 10 minutes. I just did a quick 10 minute write. So little girls with cold legs in uncomfortable Easter dresses run screaming out into the yard, trampling on crocuses. They weave around like drunk bees looking for the hidden eggs, plastic filled with jelly beans that melt when in contact with the hot palm of your hand. Malt ball eggs, chocolate bunnies, they chew the heads off immediately. The straw baskets hang on their wrists like huge bracelets, getting used to the wait for the gold bangles to come. The meal is lamb, cooked till it's dry, smothered in lime green jelly, mashed potatoes, the weird meringue and custard dessert, breaking apart into white shards. Dads in their coats and ties, the knot pulled gallows tight. The women gather in the kitchen. They used to smoke cigarettes out on the back step, but that's not allowed anymore. So they drown their boredom in Bloody Marys. Celery sticks jut out of the drinks. They use them as stirrers. Children fidget at the table while underneath a community of dogs lie on the oriental carpet, eyes alert to any morsel dropped from the gods above. The afternoon drags on, sitting elbow to elbow with strangers who also happen to be relatives. Wine bottles are open and emptied. So okay. that was my So you might want to add <laughs> <laughs> that okay first of all if anyone has just given up songwriting after hearing that um I know for a fact that you've been doing morning writings for a very long time and um some of that you know that focus is also just asking yourself you know how many of my can I show not tell Right. right. Show right. not tell and using a lot of your senses in the writing which makes it even better um, well, once because, again, like walking into the room mm-hmm. of that color, right? So what do I, what immediately yeah. like open my eyes, what do I see? Yeah. And it was like, and I, and then it was like, for me, like, what do I see? And then how do I feel about what I see? So I think that that's also something because for me, like, you know, the idea of the, 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 the baskets on the little girl's wrists yeah. of having to get used to that weight because they will have gold bangles at some point. For me, like that was like, oh, and the the dads with the ties that are gallows tight. So, you know, they're not being able to breathe. So I'm looking at the scene, but I'm not looking at the scene from a, I'm not a non-emotional um, observer. Yeah. I'm observing it through the lens of kind of looking at that life and not really liking it. So there's also that, um, which I think is kind of important. That's a great exercise. And so for the listeners, um, just for a challenge, um, here are three options of Benjamin Moore (laughs) uh, paint description. Um, We could try Tulsa Twilight. Mm, Nice. Colorado Gray. And then asking, you know, could Colorado Gray be a metaphor, um, and Scandinavian blue. Nice. And they each have like locations, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. You chose location and, and the color, which I think is cool. Yeah. Um, or smoker's teeth, yellow. (laughs) Grandma's sweater. Come on. We got it right. Grandma's. But so I think the most important thing though, to remember is that like, the the like writing songwriting is fun everybody forgets everybody forgets that songwriting is fun writing is fun it's yeah. also hard but it's fun and i think that 
you know, if you took Scandinavian blue, is that what you had? Yeah. And and your brain goes to, I don't know, like my brain, it's probably not even Scandinavian, but my brain goes to Toblerones. I don't know anything about Scandinavia. I haven't been to Scandinavia, haven't seen anything blue there, but I would go to Toblerone. So I would write about chocolate and then that might lead me to something else. So the key is to be really open to whatever, whatever, whatever memory or whatever image your, your, your creativity wants to take you. So don't, don't hold fast to whatever the image is. Would you, would you start first before you begin writing and sort of ask yourself the question, wait, before I go in here, like, how do I relate to that? What does that mean to me? And then go in? Um, I think that whether you realize it or not, your emotional state is going to influence what you see. Yeah. Because like another ex- exercise that I do sometimes, um, I do object writing a lot. And because I do object writing so often, one of the games that I play is sometimes I'll write the same object every single day. And I remember one week I chose Penny and, um, you know, the first day it was like this wonderful story. Like I wrote a story about like two boys who were like running down to the railroad and putting the pennies on the rail and it was flattening and they just, it was summer and they were bored and it was like this wonderful memory. Uh, So I think no matter what you do, when you enter the room of your writing or your song, your emotional state is going to influence how you feel. So, you know, if you're happy and you're writing about, I don't know, anything, autumn, for example, you know, you're going to walk in and you're going to see the leaves falling from the trees, but they're going to be dancing. Uh, Or if you're sad and you walk into that same room and you're writing about autumn, the leaves are going to be, I don't know, what's a, what's a, like a, they're going to be weeping from the trees, right? So I think no matter what your emotional state is going to influence what you write. So I would say just walk into the, just make sure that whatever you do, whatever you're writing, you do, you try and close your eyes and then open your eyes in the landscape of whatever your writing is and describe it. I think that's like, it really is like a visual kind of exercise of closing your eyes, opening your eyes. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you taste? What do you smell? So yes, right. writing from your senses. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, the the more detailed we are, the more our listener can experience what we're saying. Because, you know, we have to translate what we're visualizing in our head because sometimes like we're hearing an entire symphony in our head and we're just singing one melody line we have to think about, wait a minute, how can I let this person hear the whole orchestra? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So that's a good thing to do. Susan, you know that we could do like a a series of just teaching because you're so wonderful, but I also want to, you know, respect your time. Um, So let's just do it again. Will you come back? I would love to. And by the way, this is my favorite podcast And I just think it's wonderful. I think you're providing an amazing, creative, and wonderful service to songwriters out in the world. And everybody should know about this because you're terrific. So I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of you. Well, I'm a huge (laughs) fan of you. And um, you know that. So, Uh, all right, Susan Catania, I would like to end this podcast with one more of your songs. And and I I just wanted to say to everyone, please go listen to... The Hammer and the Heart 
Hammer in the heart. Okay. I want everyone to go just get on Spotify, look up Susan Catanio, C-A-T-T-A-N-E-O, and listen to Hammer in the Heart. It is a fabulous record. Um, I recommend um, Work Hard, Love Harder. Yeah, I'll do that one. I'll do that one. You're going to sing it live? Yeah. I have to say, I've got to end the podcast with the last song from All Is Quiet, which is Follow, which just... I love so much. So I have to share it with the listeners. And do you have any upcoming gigs you'd like to share? Can we Um, anybody come see you live? Yeah. I mean, I I think I have a show on uh, December 16th at a place called The Ford in Medford with my duo that's known as Honest Mechanic with a K. And then on December 17th, I have a show that's like a cast of a thousand stars. It's like 40 people and we're all singing and it's called the wall of grass. And it's in, um, you can find it on my website, susanmusic.com. It's in Wayland. It's, it's a, it's a charity event and uh, we all sit in a circle and just sing covers and it's really, really fun. Okay. And that's uh, Medford mass. Medford mass. Yeah. All right. Okay. Here we go. The heart beats louder than the dollar. Shines light in a world gone darker, draws joy in permanent marker. Work hard, but love harder. Father Time's got a job to do, punches in his time card. Coming for you. You pray to Saint Joe for that nine to five. You should be praying to Saint Valentine. Second time around, 20, 30, 40 years fly through. Suddenly you're wondering where'd your dreams get to? Just
mistakes to help make you smarter. Take your life and turn it up louder. Work hard, love harder. Hug your kids and call your mother. Be grateful and be kind to others. Kiss more, laugh more, just for starters. Work hard, love harder. Work hard, love harder. Work hard, love harder. I love that. <laughs> and you. I love you. So I love much. you. I love you. Thank you for finally coming on the show. You're amazing. <laughs> You're amazing. It's so good to have you here. All right. So I'm going to end this podcast with um, your beautiful song, Follow, and then go follow Susan on Instagram. And I want to <laughs> put, I'll put a link in there. I'll put a link in the show notes um, so people can find you and your music. And uh, thank you. I'll see you next time. All right. Love you, my friend. Love you too. Bye. Let her lead. Let her go. She always knows the right way.
Isn't that just so beautiful? Uh, All right, you guys. I want to thank you so much for letting me be a part of your busy day and for taking the time to listen. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes and tell your friends. I want to thank the talented, fabulous, amazing Peter Sykes. There's more adjectives, but I think I'll save them for the next time. But I'm so grateful for Peter Sykes for mixing this episode and also Otto Gross for singing, producing, and co-writing the show's theme song. All right. We have a great episode coming up next week. Can't wait for that. Now go write a song. What's in a song?